Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters, and I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. I'd like to welcome you here to worship with us this weekend. I also want to say uh, hello and welcome if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus, wherever in the world you happen to be. We are glad that you are along for the ride. So have you had a good week? Yes. This past Tuesday, uh, we had all staff here at Seacoast. And it's one of my favorite times of the whole month. It's where all of our staff members and high-capacity volunteers from all of our campuses come together uh, just to sharpen one another and worship together, celebrate all that God's doing. And it's really cool because it gives us an opportunity to hear what God's doing everywhere. And man, I am so excited about what God is doing in student ministry, really across all of our campuses. He just seems to be moving and, and breathing on and blessing things that are happening. We've seen students come to Christ, had parents see something different happen in their kids, so they come to church to make sure it's nothing weird. Then parents have accepted Christ. Uh, last month, we had Groundswell United, and Pastor Greg spoke and brought a message, and there were over 400 students, uh, both here in the Low Country and in the upstate, that gathered to uh, worship God and come together. It's just exciting. We've had twice as many students sign up to attend mission trips this year as we did last year, open several new student environments and, and welcome new members to our team, both in Asheville and in the West Campus. So it's just been an exciting time. I want to encourage you, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler hearing this message, your years as a student don't have to be wasted trying to figure out who you are or what cool looks like. God has an incredible plan for your life, and it starts right now. So get connected with a group of believers that are going to encourage you and really spur you on. Uh, that word spur in Scripture literally means a kick in the butt. And so uh, be encouraged. We would love to kick your butt uh, at Groundswell. <laughs> You'd love to get connected. And if you're a parent or a grandparent or a young adult, or if you're just breathing and you're not a student, uh, I would encourage you to pray about how God might be leading you to get involved in student ministry. You may well enter the life of student at just the right time and forever change their story. So I really want to encourage you to get involved there. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Make Room. And in case you've missed it, the premise of the series is this. You can't make God move, but you can make room for God to move. And the cool thing about this, at the beginning of the series, we gave you a book and a DVD, and there's literally seven to 8,000 of you meeting in small groups across all of our campuses where you're getting to process practically what it looks like for you to make room in any number of these, these areas that we're processing week to week. And today we're going to be talking about making room for rest. And so I just want to give you a heads up of a few different things that are going to be happening during the service. In just a moment, our ushers are going to come down the aisles, and they're going to be passing out small travel pillows and fleece blankets. I'd like to encourage you to share with your neighbors. And uh, <laughs> a handful of y'all thought it was a joke. A handful of y'all like, for real? A pillow? <laughs> <You know? clears throat> no. So seriously, though, today and today only, should you feel the need to, to take a little shut eye or lean your head back, it's going to be viewed as a worshipful response and not an indicator of boredom. So if you've wanted to pass, today is the only day. So uh, seriously, don't do that, okay? There's nothing more discour discouraging for me as the pastor to have to stand up here and look at you sleeping, okay? So stay awake for a brother. So I want to pray for us before we get started. And I want us to pray for two things. Uh, one, Pastor Greg and Miss Debbie and their whole family is in Colorado this week. This past week, Miss Debbie's mom passed away, Polly Harrington. And uh, she was 90, lived a full life uh, in Christ. This is very much a celebration of her going to be with the Lord. But I would love for us to take a minute as a body just to lift them up as they're there uh, grieving and celebrating that uh, Father would, would meet them there and also pray over our time together uh, this morning. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you so much just for the privilege of coming together to worship uh, as a body and receive your word. And, and now we come together, Father, and we lift up our senior pastor and Miss Debbie, Father. We're thankful, God, that your, your word tells us that your Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, and our friend. So God, I pray right now, Father, wherever they are, that they would sense in a tangible way your spirit uh, coming upon them, that you would counsel them and comfort them as they walk through their grief, and that uh, even in loss, Father, that this would be a celebration of a life lived for you. Uh, Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. May they, may they have a tangible sense that there has been much gain in her life as she's moved on to be with you. Pray over our time together this morning, Father, as we talk about make room for rest. Father, it's something that, that we can all identify with needing at some level, but seldom do we actually have the discipline to make time for. So God, I pray that you would just stir our hearts and our minds, that you would compel us to act and respond, that through this message, through your word, it would not return void in us, that it would compel us to act, bring us to change. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, last week, Katie and I went out to dinner with a few friends, and, and one of the couples that were there with us uh, has really served as a mentor couple for us. Their lives are full, their marriage is strong, their kids love coming home, their relationship with God is just beautiful, and they're passionate about their walk with Him. And one of the unique things about them is that, that this year they're both turning 60, they're both turning 60. There's, there seems to be a weightiness to their words, a sense of joy that I see in them. There's a sense of, of security and satisfaction with who God's made them to be that's just unique. You know, they've walked with God for about as long as I've been alive, and their lives are just attractive. There's something about them that gives me, gives me a vision. It paints a picture for me of what I want my life to look like, what I want our marriage to look like, our walk with God to look like uh, when we are their age. So as we were sitting there at dinner, I couldn't help but question, is the way that we're currently living, the pace of our life, the trajectory of our, our behaviors and attitudes and habits, is it going to allow us to experience the kind of life that I see in them at 60? And if I'm, if I'm honest, <laughs> the answer is no. So I started thinking through, well, what is it? You know, what would I change? And there was a bunch of different things that came to mind, but one of the first things that came to mind for me was rest. Katie and I have been married for 10 years. We've moved nine times. We've been pregnant eight times. She's been pregnant eight times. Of that, we've had five children. We've gotten two master's degrees. Man, our life has been full, and it's been fun, and it has been a blast. It really has. But man, it has been busy. We're both extroverted people, you know, people, people. We love being outside and, and being on the go. You know, our default in most situations is to say yes to opportunities, constantly adding more to our schedule. Seldom have we ever said no to an opportunity. See, oftentimes Katie and, our, Katie and I found ourselves crashing into rest because our bodies cannot go anymore instead of carving out time for rest. How many of you can identify with that? Crashing into rest because your body just can't go anymore. It's almost like it doesn't feel natural to us, like it feels irresponsible. I can't tell you the number of weeks where, where Katie and I have sat down on a Sunday night to talk through our schedule, and literally we've had something every night. <laughs> Can you identify with that? And the problem is that it's all good stuff. You know, if it was bad stuff, you would just say, hey, we're going to stop that, you know, because it's bad. But it's all good stuff. And the problem for us as believers is that a, a week or a calendar full of good stuff doesn't necessarily lead to a great life. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in one of those weeks, or maybe you feel like you're in the middle of one of those months where you have just been on the go, just nonstop, and part of you gets a rush from it. You know, you may get some adrenaline or fuel from always being on the go and having something to do, 
But part of you knows that, man, this just is not sustainable. Our bodies need rest. I need rest. Well, throughout this series, we've been walking through 2 Kings chapter 4, which is the story of the Shunammite woman. And verse 8 tells us that she was from the town of Shunem and that she was a well-to-do woman. Now, before we started this series and I really started reading this text, I had never heard that phrase before, well-to-do woman. But I want to encourage some of you guys in the Lord here today that that's a phrase you should start using at the house, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I've encouraged Katie some and said, man, babe, you look beautiful. Uh, or, man, babe, that dinner was incredible. And you need a few specific comments like that. But when you throw out a phrase like, babe, you are a well-to-do woman, you know? It's kind of mysterious, and she doesn't know what you mean. And you don't have to either, you know? <laughs> But it will bless you, okay? And so this well-to-do woman from the town of Shunem, Scripture says that this man of God named Elisha would come through town and that she would urge him to come over her house for dinner. Okay, he had done it repeatedly, come through town. She'd say, come over for dinner, come on, come over for dinner. And so finally she had gone to her husband, said, babe, this man of God is coming through town all the time. What if we built a room for him up on our roof? So guys, I want to stop right here, and I want you to be really honest, okay? If your wife was urging another dude to come over your house for dinner, how would you respond? I'd let it happen one time. I want to see this dude. Does he got cool hair? You know, how tall is he? I bet he plays a guitar, don't he? I was like, well, what's the deal with him? But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we probably would not be building a room for him up on our roof, Okay. My dude's going to have to find his own well-to-do woman, you know, <laughs> coming up in the house, eating all my meatloaf. It's just not going to happen, okay? So this woman had literally made room for him, not only at their dinner table, but made room in their home, in their lives for him. And today we're going to pick up in verse 11. They're at the top of your outline sheets, and this is what it says. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. Okay, so several interesting things about this passage I want to point out to us, all right? The first of which, this is going to really give you a clue as to my level of intelligence, all right? The word day in this passage literally means day, okay? All right? And the word lay actually means lay. So you thought I was going to say something different, but it means the same thing, okay? So what the infallible, perfect Word of God Scripture tells us that, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what the infallible, perfect Word of God saw fit to let us know is that this man of, man of God came through town and he took a nap, okay? Now, for some of you, this may not be a surprise because you think that's what men of God do all the time. We play golf, we hang out at Starbucks, you know, we take naps, but it's just not the case, okay? Let me clue you in a little bit as to what Elisha's life looked like. He was a busy man. He used to run with a dude named Elijah, and Elijah, God loved him so much. There was so much anointing and blessing and favor on his life that Scripture tells us in chapter 2 that God just took him up to heaven in a whirlwind. You know how it's been maybe when you've been out of town for a while and you walk in the house? Uh, my four-year-old named Abel, he'll run up to me. He still has that like, dad's home, you know, he runs. And for whatever reason, I grab his ears and we headbutt. And I'm like, oh, I missed you, you know? That's how God was. He was like, Elijah, come on home. You know, we just brought him. Well, Elisha had that same favor and anointing on his life. In chapter two, it tells us that there was a, a town whose water was poisoned. So they came to him. They said, Elijah, help us, man. People are dying. Our, our land is unproductive. It's unfruitful. Will you come heal our water? And so he said, all right, bring me some of the water in a bowl. And so they, they brought him water, and he sprinkled some salt in it. 
And then he went to the well and he prayed. He spoke over the well. He said, your water has been healed. Never again will you kill someone or render the land unfruitful. Now, can you imagine after having done that, what word would get out around? I mean, what if after I got one of the prayer cards that, that somebody here in the body had turned in, I gave him a call and said, Miss Jones, hey, I saw the prayer request for your Jetta. Uh, why don't you meet me outside of the chapel on Sunday morning? You know, then I walked up to that jet. I said, carburetor, you will never break again. <laughs> you know, car will run for 500,000 miles. It's like word would get out. All of a sudden, people want to have Pastor Josh over for dinner. You know, hey, Pastor Josh, before you leave, you think you could come out and talk to my Honda? You know, it's like word would get out. He was a busy dude. There's another passage that talks about there were 42 people that were taunting him, kind of making fun of him. They're saying, come on, old bald head, go on back, get out of here. And Elisha had taken it and taken it and taken it. Finally, man of God had just had enough. So he turned around and he called down a curse from heaven. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 people. You think I'm making this stuff up? It's in the Bible, okay? Come to think about it, if, my, if I had heard about that story, I probably would have been urging my well-to-do woman to have him over to house for dinner as well, you know? Make sure we're in good graces with him. This busy man of God went up to his room and took a nap. When was the last time you took a nap? The last time that you intentionally carved out time to rest? See, as a parent, it's easy for me to identify when my kids need a nap. They become emotional and, and a little bit irritable. Maybe we've been running too hard for the last few days or stayed out late at night. And so it's easy for me to affirm the need to carve out space and make sure that they get the rest that they need. But as an adult, it's just not that easy. Oftentimes the symptoms are the same. I get emotional and irritable, you know, but, but it's harder for me to carve out time to rest. See, I think the, the lie that I believe there is that busyness is equated with godliness and that naps are for children, you know? And now that I'm an adult, it's time for me to work, and I've got to work hard. We see this inability to rest all throughout our culture, and chances are many of you feel this way right now. 62% of American adults report having uh, trouble sleeping several nights a week. 39% of adults admit to having fallen asleep somewhere in public in the last 30 days, and that's just funny. You know, I love catching somebody asleep in a meeting or in a movie, and I don't know why I need to put all those pictures together, but I just love capturing pictures of them. That's just silly. <laughs> it is. I'm going to be looking out for all of you. Okay, so in 2011, CNN reported that 57% of Americans had unused vacation time, leaving an average of 11 days on the table, or 70% of their allotted time. So see, it's not that we haven't been given the opportunity to rest, uh, like we haven't been given the space to take a few days off work. The reality for most of us is that we're just not doing it. So as I look at 2 Kings 4.8 and question, what would God have us learn from this passage? I can't help but wonder if I've believed, if we as a body have believed the lie that the world is telling us, that our culture is telling us regarding rest. What if my ability to rest would determine the degree to which I could walk in the promises of God? Think about that. Scripture tells us that the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that His Spirit sealed in us until the day of redemption that we could never lose, that the fruit of having Him in our lives is that we would experience those things. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, a good indicator on kind of the dashboard of my life when I'm slack on sleep is that I become crazy impatient about silly stuff. I'll get frustrated with my kids or with my wife, and I'm like, gosh, man, I'm just 
sleepy. You know, brother needs a nap. What if how I manage rest is more important than how I manage work? What if how I manage rest is more important than how I manage work? What if my commitment to rhythms of rest, this one messes me up. What if my commitment to rhythms of rest has more impact on my long-term fruitfulness than how hard I work? See, the reality is learning to rest is some of the hardest work you'll ever do. Why? Because it's just not celebrated in our culture. You're not going to get any pats on the back or guys at the office high-fiving you. Good job, man. You know, it's like a killer nap. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Can you imagine how the conversations would go? Josh, what'd you do today, man? Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Went and took a nap over to Shunammite woman's house. <laughs> like, what? You bum. You know, that's ridiculous. It takes a lot of work and vision and passion for us to carve out space and actually get the, the discipline rooted in us to where we can enjoy and value and make room for rest. So how do I change my perspective on rest so that my life isn't driven by culture? so that I'm not driven by the busyness and pace of all the people around me. A few things for us. Number one there on your outline sheet, we have to acknowledge God's design. I can make room for rest when I acknowledge God's design. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. What God was saying to us here is that I want to rule earth, which is your realm, from heaven, which is my realm, through you. I want to rule earth, which is your realm, from heaven, which is my realm, through you. God created us in his image and in his likeness so that we would expand or extend his kingdom throughout all the earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it this way. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors uh, as if God were making his appeal through us. See, God created us to represent him in person and in purpose, that people would see us and in some way see him, that people would have an encounter with us and in some way have an encounter with him. If this is true, if you as a follower of Christ can wrestle down the reality that God knit you together, that he molded, fashioned, and formed you by divine design, then it's critical that we live within the boundaries of his design. How many of you have ever had a goldfish? few folks. Okay, really for a family of five, I'm telling you, they are the ideal pet. Um, my, uh, my kids really want a dog, and man, I just cannot swing a dog right now. I don't know that I'd swing a dog if we had a dog, but I can't handle one either way. We definitely don't want a cat. Our eight-year-old has a class guinea pig, and man, she is dying for us to get one, and it's just not going to happen. You know? uh, but we have, as a result, had a few hermit crabs, a few African swimming frogs, I don't know why, uh, and goldfish. Now, if you ask my kids, they would say we've had one goldfish, uh, but the reality is there's been a few uh, that have come in and, uh, and out of the house. But there's actually a lot that you can learn from a goldfish. There's four different breeds of exotic goldfish, each of which are named according to their body type. So there's the wild, the torpedo, the egg shape, and the teardrop. Now, several similarities they all share regardless of their body type. One is that they all have seven sets of fins. Another is that they're all located on the exact same places or locations on their body. Now, the purpose of the fins is to give them uh, the ability or ability for stability and movement. So stability, so they don't go belly up while a pastor is trying to use them for an illustration and a message. Uh, and movement, so that they, if they wanted to go after some food or maybe go after a girlfriend fish, they'd have the ability to really go after them and get them. Now, the unique thing 
about these fish is that God created them, gave them the ability to experience life within certain parameters or boundaries. Now, regardless of my good intentions, I want my fish to experience the power and presence of God at Seacoast. He's just pretty, and I want all of you to see him. Unless he lives within the parameters or boundaries that God set for him, he's never going to experience the life that God has for him. Now, some of you have totally tuned me out at this point. <laughs> and you're saying, put him in the bowl. <laughs> he's not going to make it. You know, but don't worry. I searched it on the interweb. The World Wide Web, and we've got up to 11 hours, some folks say. I don't know. I don't know that I believe them. So we'll go ahead and put him back in the water. I'm telling you, nothing would ruin a message like a dead fish. So. All right. Okay, so back with me. We've got to focus. All right, he's good. Really, he is, I promise. All right. So uh, here's the deal. I can't help but wonder if our Father in heaven, our Creator God, who knit us together, who, who wired us, doesn't look at us with the same concern in His eye that each of us had for that fish. He knows our need for rest. And He knows that refusing to rest isn't just a bad idea, it's a sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, it may be prolonged, it may be slow coming. It might be a, a financial death or a relational death, maybe a physical death. But whatever the case, you can be certain that refusing to rest, refusing to, to make room in your life to rest, is going to rob you of the abundant life that Christ came to offer. We have to acknowledge God's design. The word acknowledge, by definition, is to accept or admit the existence of truth. If we're going to make room for rest, we have to acknowledge, we have to receive the truth that our bodies desperately need it, so much so that it compels us to act, that we're willing to respond, to do something about it. What if the condition of your life in your 60s or 70s or whatever the, whatever the next season of life looks like for you was determined by how well you manage rest instead of how hard you work? What if the condition of your life, think about your, your physical health, the quality of your relationships, the intimacy of your walk with God, was determined more by how well you manage rest than how hard you work. This seems to be consistent with Scripture. And don't get me wrong, if anybody is supposed to set the standard for what it means, what it looks like to have a solid work ethic, it's us as believers. God's Word is the same to children, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, even slaves. Colossians 3.23 says it this way, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. We are all supposed to be all in all the time. It's of no benefit to anyone for us to continually say yes, taking on more and more and more things, because something's got to give. But he's saying, whatever you do put your hands to, man, be all in. Do it with all of your heart. Two of the guys that do that on staff here at Seacoast so well are Mike Surratt and Robert Knight. As we prepared for the, the middle school trailer, so guys, we need to build a little wall around the tech booth to kind of hide some of the cables. And so I'm thinking just a simple little clean wall. Maybe they could put some tin on it or board or something just to hide these cables. And I got a picture of it when they finished. Check out what they did. Isn't that incredible? I'm like clear walls and LED lights and logos. I'm like, man, they're, they are all in. 
They take ownership over the tasks, the assignments given to them. And and I love when they do things because I know I'm going to be amazed by whatever it is they come up with. They are all in all the time, as we all should be. That said, all throughout Scripture, we're reminded of God's desire and ability to work in and through us. Every week we end our messages by reading Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, and it says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. It's important to note what it does not say there, okay? It doesn't say according to our willingness to stay late at work every night, you know? It doesn't say according to our willingness to exhaust ourselves in the name of God. It says according to his power that is at work within us. We have to acknowledge that we need to live within the boundaries of his design. He created us to need rest. Secondly, if we're going to make room for rest, we have to follow God's example. We have to follow God's example. In Exodus 20, there on your outline sheets, it says this. God said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, knowing that our bodies need rest, God created our world with rhythms of rest built into it. Our 24-hour day, is determined by the earth rotating on its axis. Okay, the sun rising and the sun setting give us a good indicator of when we need to go to bed and when we need to wake up. Our month is determined by the amount of time it takes the moon to revolve around the earth. Our year is determined by the amount of time that it takes the earth to revolve around the sun. The only measure of time that doesn't have a metric of creation built into it to measure is the week. And the only metric we have to measure a week is the Sabbath. But because God's, because God's a gentleman, he didn't push, us, push it on us. He's not going to make you take it. He's saying, follow my example, respond in obedience, live according to the life that I've called you to, and you will receive rest. You will find rest for your souls. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said it this way, the Sabbath, was not made for, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath is supposed to be a blessing, something that God modeled for us and invited us to experience. The word there, Sabbath, literally means intermission. And if you've ever been to the theater, how many of you enjoy the theater? Handful of folks. Uh, some of you live for the intermission. God, give me a break. You know? Katie's dad is a, a theater teacher at an international school. I'll never forget our first uh, year of marriage. He decided that uh, for a gift for Katie that he would uh, perform a monologue. And so uh, he, he performed it, had a little flute player, and he acted it out and recorded it. And when he flew home, he was living in China at the time, popped the tape into the VCR. And for some reason, uh, it was, you know, all messy screened and just wasn't working, but we could hear the flute player. And so the only thing that he could do was perform the monologue there uh, in our living room, you know. <laughs> and so for me, I'm just not much of a theater guy, but man, I wanted to honor her dad. And so to do it, I had nearly bit a hole through my lip. Tears are running down my cheek. I'm like, God, I need an intermission. You know, help me at this. Well, this year at the Thorn, uh, we're having the Thorn here at Seacoast. And in case you've never been, man, you were going to love it. It is a dramatic, radical, powerful 
presentation of the gospel. There's a huge stage, fire, people swinging from the ceiling, fighting scenes. It really is incredible. And this year in the thorn, there's an intermission. That time is supposed to serve as a break from the action and suspense or the guy performing in your living room, uh, whatever it is, a mental break so that you can check out and get up, uh, maybe stretch, go get some popcorn, use the restroom, whatever it is that you need to do. See, God created our bodies to enjoy arousal and excitement, which is why movies and plays and sporting events uh, bring about satisfaction in us. They solicit a, a response from us. But too much of the chemical that's released when we become aroused or excited is toxic to our system. God created us to need rest, and so he instituted the Sabbath so that it would serve as a flush for our bodies, so that we would take a break from all the noise and fuss going on around us to be able to receive rest. When I think about Elisha in 1 Kings 4 and question why the Bible saw fit to let us know that this man of God stopped for a nap, one of the immediate parallels I see is that obedience to the Sabbath trains our bodies to rest regularly. Obedience to the Sabbath trains our bodies to rest regularly. This past Tuesday at All Staff, Pastor Ron from our West Campus was sharing some lessons of longevity that he's learned over the years throughout his walk with God and time in ministry. And one of the phrases that he said that's just captured me was that we have to find well-worn paths to the Father. We have to find well-worn paths to the Father. And committing personally to take a Sabbath every week creates for you that well-worn path. It provides a period of time where you just rest. The Sabbath, not just taking a day off, but having a Sabbath day where you don't work, has a way of bubbling up in you the things that matter most. Has a way of reminding you that, man, I am not the one in charge. I don't have to carry the, the responsibility of everything that I'm putting my hands to. Uh, some of you, I think we all have a good idea of what it looks or what it uh, means for you to Sabbath physically. You know, taking a day physically off work maybe. Uh, for some of you, you work with your hands and you're busy in construction. And so one of the most practical ways that I've learned uh, or heard about getting rest is that if you work with your hands, you should Sabbath with your mind. So that if you build things or you're constantly out doing stuff that you kind of rest physically, pull back, you know. And if you work with your mind, maybe in relationships or numbers, that it may be helpful for you to Sabbath with your hands. Get out in the yard and do some yard work. Come over to my house and work in my yard or... Uh, you know, whatever would bless you. I just want to serve, really, I do. But for those of you that are uh, in, a, in a make room group, this week you're going to see a video from Pastor Greg, and you're going to get to talk practically on what are the areas in my life that, that hinder me from resting well? What would it really look like practically for me to take a Sabbath and carve out that space? So I'm excited for you to process that. Lastly, when we acknowledge God's design and commit to following his example, we can, number three, experience God's blessing experience God's blessing. A few weeks ago, Katie and I went to Mexico uh, for a few days. Some friends of ours here in the church were getting married, and it was a destination wedding. So they said, uh, Josh, would you mind uh, coming to Mexico to do this wedding? And as any good pastor would, I said, let me pray about it. Yes, we will go to Mexico. And uh, I grew up in an awesome family, uh, really crazy supportive and loving. Uh, but one of the things we just never really did was vacations. And so coincidentally, now that Katie and I have been married 10 years, we just haven't really vacationed either. It's just challenging for me to spend a significant amount of money on a short-term experience. And so it's been 10 years and we just hadn't really done it. This was the first time us getting away, really kind of just us. We had our own place going to Mexico. And man, I'm telling you, 
Something about getting away with her was just a blast. She is always full of life and joy, uh, but I learned through this trip that I really think her love language is Delta, and brother's got to incorporate it, you know, <laughs> a little more in our marriage. We just did crazy stuff. We went ATV racing and rappelling. We went down the, the fifth longest zip line in the world. Uh, one day we went paddle boarding, and uh, we were the first ones to kind of go out, so we hadn't got to see anybody do it yet. And there's some serious waves where we went. I mean, they have the like longboarding world championships, paddleboarding, you know, there at this place. And so we're like hurrying out. And on the way in, I, I wasn't quite sure how to do it, but I wasn't going to ask, you know, because I'm a dude. And so we, uh, we came in and we just got dump truck. I mean, just barrel rolled by these waves. I still got sand in my ear. It was crazy. You know, one night we literally shut down the dance floor. You know, it may shock you that I have some moves. Uh, but we were working them out on the dance floor. It was just awesome. We had so much fun. Normally, our date nights here are a chick flick and walking around Barnes & Noble. Can any guys identify with that one? <laughs> I've seen them all. But man, we carved out time. We made room to get away and, and rest. And there was blessing that came from it. There was refreshment uh, for us through a willingness to carve out that space and get away. What area of your life would you like to experience the blessing of God? What area would you like to experience the blessing of God? What if you receiving that blessing was rooted more in your willingness to rest, whatever that looks like, instead of your determination to work? John 15, 5 says it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He will bear much fruit. It doesn't say that he might bear some fruit, it doesn't say he will bear a fruit, you know. He will bear much fruit. Have you ever seen a, an apple tree, you know, struggle or strain to push out an apple? You know, like, no, that's ridiculous. It's a natural process. It just happens. And what God's saying here is if you remain in me, fruitfulness in your life will be a byproduct. He goes on to say that apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does that say for us in all of our stress and strain and striving? You know, God's word is so clear. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, literally fortify your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But man, when it comes to work, there's not much more in our lives that we stress and strain and strive over. But who are, who are we performing for, you know? Because it's not the way that God has called us to live. At best, we're accomplishing momentary success. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be seasons where you have to run, where you have to work hard uh, because it's what's called for. Maybe you've just had a baby and, and he's still not sleeping through the night after six months. I need some prayer on that one. You know, or maybe you've just moved or you've started a new job. There's going to be seasons where we have to run, and that's okay. But it's when those seasons become a lifestyle that our lives can become unhealthy. We need rest. In John 15, 16, he goes on to say, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What he's saying here is that if you will choose him, if you'll put him first, that you'll experience both life-wide and lifelong fruitfulness. Life-wide meaning it could not be compartmentalized into any one area of your life. You'll experience his favor and blessing in your relationships, in your finances, in your walk with him as we rest, as we abide in him. 
lifelong, meaning that it will go on for decades, meaning that it's something that not only will you walk in and your children walk in, but you'll get to see lived out for decades. If we acknowledge God's design and follow God's example, then we will experience God's blessing. What do you want this next season of your life to look like? You know, as I left dinner last week, I realized that, man, the way we were living was not going to bring about the fruitfulness in our walk with God, the love that I want to see in our marriage, or the condition of life that I want to have when we're 60. What do you want your next season to look like? And is the way that you're currently living going to allow you to experience that? I I would encourage you to pray about it and really think about it. And if the answer is no, then make some changes. I think for each of us, our willingness to step into the abundant life that God has for us as a people, as a church, may well hinge more in our willingness to rest and abide in Him than our determination to work. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Father. I'm I'm grateful for the way that you've designed our bodies, Father, in your image and in your likeness. God, the way that you've called us to, to represent you both in person and in purpose. God, I pray for each of us today, Lord, that, that may well be prone to busyness because it's all we've ever known, Lord, that you would begin a new work in us, a life-giving work where it may be said of us that our trust is in you, that we're a people who, who give our all at what it is that we work on. God, that we're all in, that we work at it with all of our heart and might, but that we're a people who know that we can't do it all and that we trust you, that we abide in you, that we would receive rest for our souls. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts now as we enter into a time of response, that you would call us to act, that we would respond in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.